What does it take to become an elite 40K player? How do the top competitors overcome bad dice? The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War Unbroken. Insight into the game plans of the top players on the planet with your hosts, Blake Law and the Art of War Coaches. Hello and welcome back to Art of War Unbroken. Now this is part two of the episode and normally you'd have to listen to part one, but this time it's okay. You don't necessarily have to. We are going to be talking about another standalone topic. We're going to be talking about the hobby track and competitive 40k and painting. And to join me with this, I have brought on one of the best painters that I know, one of the best paint streams out there. I have, of course, I'm talking about Mr. Devin from the Cutthroat Cure. How you doing, Devin? Hey, everybody. How are you doing? I'm glad to be here. Devin, can you tell us a little bit about your stream and what you do and just uh, the painting you do? Well, one of the things that I definitely try and do with my stream, uh, first and foremost, is like uh, sometimes I think that we we as miniature painters, uh, especially since there's such a divide between like the really, really good and then the people who are just starting. Like, uh, I think it's really easy for people to, you know, kind of let their eyes go really big and then never feel like it's attainable. So I think a major part of my stream is trying to actually bring that down. So like, you know, for example, like being very aware of like, I'm, I'm a pretty good painter. I like to think I paint, you know, pretty well, but I know there's tons of people who paint way better than me that are, you know, my mentors and I learn from, and I think it's like more of a peer community. So definitely a big part of my stream is a, just about getting back to having fun and B it's about uh, providing a place where people can feel they can come and get like uh critical feedback and, you know, constructive, you know, motivation and basically a little bit of that peer review that I think is very important when it comes to the uh, painting community. Your stream is one of the streams I sit back, I'm painting, I turn it on and I just love to sit there and listen to it. You're, you're probably my number one paint stream that I watch. So that's one of the big reasons I want to bring you on just to, if you haven't heard of him, you absolutely need to go check out his content. Uh, where can they find you? I mean, definitely the biggest area you can find me. Uh, I'm trying to get back into more of a consistent schedule, especially with my son getting ready to start kindergarten. Oh, wow. Over on Twitch, just under Cutthroat Cure, it's all one word. Um, and I've been mainly streaming on uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays. But to be honest, the easiest way to like find me is through my Instagram. And I always try and post when I'm going on because, you know, especially as both a, you know, a entrepreneur and a, a father, it's like whenever I have the time to paint and especially if I think I can stream it, I'll try and jump in. Yeah. So sometimes I like to feel it's like the wild card. <laughs> wild card stream. And we'll have all of Devin and uh, Devin the Cutthroat Cure. We'll have all of his stuff linked in the show notes below. So check out his stuff. Make sure to look at it. He does all kinds of crazy things. He does uh, a lot of Marvel, a lot of the Marvel protocol, Crisis Protocol, right? Uh, yeah, that's been game. that's just been one that I've really, really like stuck to. I, I realized when I was younger, when I first got into 40K, I painted so many orcs. I had uh, 23,000 points of orcs uh, with no war gear, like but once again, it was all speed painted, a lot of stuff like that. So, I mean, I could tell you how to paint the same type of leather, the same type of green and the same type of red really fast. But I started realizing with the, at least with the Marvel Crisis stuff that I like uh, the characters. So each individual piece, even though it's for a game, feels like its own character. So I, I always get to have a lot of fun and kind of uh, let loose with them. I liked your, uh, who's the character Nick Cage played? The Ghost Ghost Rider. Yep. Uh, yep, yep, I did. Uh, yeah, that Ghost Rider was a fun one. One of my most recent uh, fun ones, I've been working on a Doctor Strange that's like coming through multiple portals. 
Oh, that's I saw that. A, yeah, that's really cool. That's really and then cool. uh, an Immortal Iron Fist. And then I recently did a uh, converted uh, uh, Imperial Fists Dreadnought. I knocked out and uh, did some, uh, I think it's Volkite. I think they're Volkite cannons. I'm not yeah. very familiar with the terminology. Uh, I focus more on the paint. But if there was a paint color named after it, I'd remember it. Uh, <laughs> Volkite, Volkite yellow or uh, there, you know. something like that. But uh, yeah, no, I painted uh, an Imperial Dreadnought with a lot of freehand uh, for, uh, for a dad. And that was a lot of fun. So I'm getting ready to actually do a really cool custodies uh, scheme finally uh, when I get a chance uh, to sit down and work on that. Is that for your own personal stuff or is that a commission also? Yeah, no, that's for personal. I have uh, most of my commission stuff is MCP. I, I mean, I don't really get to do a whole lot of, uh, I don't get to get to do a whole lot of other ones just because like I have to be interested in the project. Right. And then, you know, because anytime I'm doing a project for someone else, you know, I think one important thing to talk about since we're in a podcast about painting is, uh, you know, setting acquirable, like actual goals that you can get to. Cause I think one of the things that creates and destroys a hobby, you know, creates a hobby burnout and, you know, destroys motivation is like never feeling like you're able to reach that goal, you know? Yeah. So I think it's really important sometimes that, you know, start small, you know, take classes, have fun where you can. I think a big thing for me, and I, this is something that uh, it took a while for me to really come to terms with, because I love to be competitive. I'm part of Art of War. We're all the competitive players, you know? So I had to look at it. I had to make a decision at one point. Do I want to be a really competitive player or do I want to have a really competitively painted army? And you, I don't think you can do both. I, I mean, some people maybe can, but it's really hard. And that goes back to what you say is set attainable goals. Because if you're jumping around and changing your army a lot, it's going to be really hard for you not to get really burned out painting things. And I think a really big thing about that, and, and it's a really important uh, idea that you know, you're know you pointing out on this, is I think you can be both, but I think it is exactly as you said. You can't be jumping around. Like You have to make a decision. Like For example, like my 40K army is going to be custodian. Like I've known this. That is my... Yeah, I, I see it. Yeah, yeah. And that's one of those things. Like one of my really good friends, and I'll, I'll call him out. His, he's on uh, Twitch all the time. His name is Quis. And I've watched him as starting into 40K and then now watching him playing 40K. And it's like, it's been so good to watch him. Like, actually, he's only playing with stuff that he's painted. And COVID allowed him to have that time to kind of catch up and paint yeah. before he got into these big games. And now he's getting excited because he goes, oh, man, I need to add a librarian. You know, I'm, I, he, he doesn't use a librarian. He's all about chaos, but a librarian, you know, I need to add this. And then he, he now gets excited because he has, he's setting an, an acquirable goal for himself. I need to have it painted by X so I can play it because now he's, he's combining the hobby and the play into one uh, successful kind of, you know, mix. You might have heard Devin say, oh, yeah, I see it just now. Uh, he was pointing at one of my Imperial Knights that I showed him over the stream here. Uh, and that's the same thing I did. I, I was My the, my point I was going to make is um, I painted that knight for Nova. I literally just had, a, you know, a lot of painted knights. And I was like, I could paint one more. That seems like a fun project. Did it in a month. And it was fantastic. And you can't really do that with a 2,000-point army, like, every couple months. That's really hard to do. And if you can, more power to you. But, whew. And I agree. I, and I 100% agree with you in that fact of I think that people need to also understand, like, you know, if you are going to set a goal, like I tell a lot of people, especially people who take my like painting class and stuff, like they'll start asking about competition painting, you know, because 
you know, as soon as you start getting interested in that, hey, what are these better techniques or what are things that I should use on a more, you know, all the time basis? They'll look at me and they'll say, you know, when should I start competing? And I always tell them like, hey, if you want to plan your piece for say like Nova's about to come up now, plan your piece for Nova for next year, you know, set it up for next year and, you know, and then take that year to basically practice and play around, you know, and, and, and produce something. If you're going to do like that, the same with that is if you're going to paint an army and you're going to say, Hey man, I want to have this beautifully painted army by this point then give yourself the year, give yourself the time, make sure you're setting you know, goals for yourself every day. I'm going to paint for an hour every day or three hours every week, you know, make sure if you exceed it, it's always easier to push your goals up, but it can be very defeating when you have to pull your goals back. Are you going to Nova speaking of which? Yep. I will be teaching classes at Nova. I will be helping with the war machine side of Nova. I will be helping with the capital palette. Uh, so I will be all over Nova. Oh man, we're meeting up at Nova. We're gonna we're gonna do this off camera, but we're gonna meet up. We're gonna plan some stuff. I'm gonna bring some paint things. Let's paint. Yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah, no, I I love painting there, and it's one of those things we've been uh we've worked on a lot of different things there, and I'm actually super excited, you know, because this Nova's under like a kind of a new guidance team, you know, and they're making some different changes this year, and it's I'm very excited for it. So, and especially since this is its return after you know COVID. So, one of the things that uh, I remember when I very first met you, you told me a story about a color that you named, and I feel like you should tell that story. Uh, no, 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 no. That story, that story has so much funny, like has other <laughs> side points. And if you don't get it, if you don't get it in the first part, it, it's got such a longer story. And there was, there was two colors actually I made and I have told them to other people. And if they get made, it'll be a, it'll be more of a joke for them than it is a success story for me. I think, it's a success, <laughs> I think it'll be a success story for you, man. That's uh, I, I hold that to my heart. Fantastic. Yeah. Let's jump into some subjects here, man. One of the problems that I've seen in 40K in the last two years, so I got back in with COVID. I set out for a decade. I did nothing but paint for a decade. I entered the Capitol Palette and all that stuff, you know, around town, around the country. But uh, I got back into competitive 40K in 2019 or 2020, right around COVID time. And I noticed that the hobby side of things really is was was slacking a lot more than the competitive side. And that wasn't the case in, say, 2012, where you saw competitive players wanting to paint and competing for that, what we call the overall spot, you know, paint plus gameplay. And I think there's kind of this weird transition to where it's all about battle points. There's no one even cares about who wins best paint, which to me is a little strange. How do you feel about that? And how do you feel like we can kind of make some moves to change the way people perceive it? Well, I think the biggest issue you're going to have right off the bat is the the old times we're talking about, let's look at like, let's say, uh, fifth edition, right? Fifth yeah. edition is probably a really good edition for that. You saw a lot of painted. The issue with fifth edition is that uh, is the the issue with fifth edition is the benefit and the issue with our current edition, which is when we had fifth edition, and Dark Eldar had not seen a codex at that point in almost ten years. Yeah, so you knew what you had. Tau had been looking at what almost eight years for some crazy amount of time, you know, like orcs were still working off what their third, the last third edition codex, you know, like what I'm saying is you had a lot more time and a lot less options to choose and paint. So therefore people having fully painted stuff was a lot easier. Now we're seeing six to seven releases per faction per year, every time. And then factions are changing. And now you're adding, uh, 
other sub factions and other bits of this. And now you've got these, you know, I think there's just so much that's coming in at once that in order for people to compete competitively, they have to choose one or the other. And I think what happens is, is because GW is going so fast with their releases and which is what people wanted. Now, if you start, if they start requiring that people have to have like a very high level or, you know, put more into that, uh, I think it would change. But I mean, I think what I would say is if they took, I mean, you have to think right now that when we were at Adepticon, the, 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 the painting requirements for Golden Demon were, were less and less stringent than the painting requirements for a 40K tournament. That's actually true, actually. <laughs> yeah, you know, you could enter something you just you just painted right then and there, and you there was a lot more rulings and direction for the tournament side. And what I'm saying is, if you're going to change it and you want a tournament that is going to give the same amount of excitement as the painting side is, you're going to have to see more organizers for the painters. And then basically create and take the time to create a rubric or work with a painter to create some sort of a judging rubric that can be easily, uh, you know, basically spaced apart. You know, for example, like when Nova does it, Nova will come down. I know this personally because I'm asked every single year by Bob. Bob will come down and say, Devin, do you mind giving me two to three hours of your time? And I say, sure. And then what we do is we will walk the entire 40K hall for whatever tournament it is. And it's right now, every single event that happens in Nova, they will reach out at a certain time and say, hey, when will you have time? I would like you to come and judge the stuff. So the first part is you have to know when to eliminate people. And I don't mean eliminate as in you smash their dream. <laughs> I just mean that there has to be a first cut, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, people should, I mean, the, the organizers and stuff should be good enough to be able to go around and choose X amount of people, you know? And then from that point, then you go into the grading rubric and you go from there. You, you, you just talk about how cohesive is it? How does it look as a force? You know, does it, is it dynamic? Does it look good? You know, and then you can go from there. But I think one part of it is if you're going to have, you, you've got to make sure that it is event specific because you can't really generalize it because you're not going to have the same talent looking at the models at A that you might have looking at the talent, you know, that's looking at B. That's, and, that's the hard part, I think, honestly, you know, because you're not getting the same eyes on on um, on, the, on the same models. You know, you might go. I think that's one of the big issues we're seeing is across the country, like events like Nova and Adepticon are just fantastic. They have staff dedicated for it. They have a lot of requirements. They put a lot of, you know thought in the front side of saying hey this is what we're looking for and then you go i'm not going to call it any events but there's other large events across the country that are like you know 300 man events and someone might randomly get first place in this and you're like well how did they get that there's no transparency on it right and i think the thing about it is is what i think and that's why i'm saying that it has to be the to the to has to be the one that kind of has to take control of that because if they expect games workshop to do it if any of us expects games workshop to do it you are wrong okay because at the end of the day i'm sorry to tell people this but i mean games workshop puts out some beautiful models right but right now games workshop is pushing the idea of speed you know you want to get your stuff done get it on the table get it to this point speed you know contrast paints speed you know do this speed everything seems to be about speed so Right now, I think for GW to say, hey, 
we're going to kind of set this standard. I don't know if that is exactly the right thing that people want. You know, also how you, how important is it to your area for painting? You know, because I'll be honest, I've gotten at place. I've gone to places before where they've had, where they've had an event and people got the painting competition and it was more of a like, Jesus, why can't they just get through this part so we can find out, you know? So if your TO knows that maybe painting isn't that important, then maybe that's not something they put as much focus in, but maybe you have that one person that's a part of the events that you see pushing that painting. Then you try to get them kind of involved or motivated because the thing is, is you have to, you have to grow and support the community you're in, you know, if you're in a community that has a lot of AOS they might get to 40 K, but you need to, you need to structure it, play AOS, you know, you kind of build off what you have, but if you don't have that structure first, you're not going to have it. So if you don't have painters, we should first focus on, Hey, we need a minimum to paint, you know, like models should not be gray. And I think then you're going to get rid of the people who are doing these immediate, every single tournament changing, or they're going to be spending so much freaking money that, it's going to support the painting community one way or another. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what, how do you feel about games workshop speak? Let's circle back to them for a minute. They've done these U S series. And honestly, I kind of think they are pushing more paint, which to me is setting a precedent. It's really good. And historically I've been kind of on the fence with games workshop. They've done some things I like things I haven't liked. Yada, yada, yada. The same store for pretty much everyone who has ever played a Games Workshop game. I mean, if you haven't loved and hated Games Workshop at one event, you haven't played their games. This is the way it is. But they put out this U.S. series, and they're given pretty good prize support. They're put, putting a lot of emphasis on best overall, best painted. They're given free, all-expense-paid stuff to people who win paint awards go, to, to go across the country. It's a pretty cool deal, and they kind of have utilized a lot of the stuff you said, which I think is really interesting, which is making a top like 10% paint cut and then doing a judging from there. That's more, you uni- this more universal. So the same people are looking at it and the same eyes are looking at every model going point, point, point. So I think that their structure might be a good basis for larger events across the country to kind of focus on. Cause if everyone did that, I think you'd see a lot more, you know, coherency in the judging across the country. And I think what is crazy right now is I honestly think that this, that it's uh, podcasts like this one that are going to start getting big companies like that to hear it because what they're doing right now is they're obviously testing theories, okay? Because, you know, they're reaching out and they're grabbing big names. They're grabbing, you know, the uh, Sam Lenz. They're grabbing the, you know, Richard Grays. They're grabbing these big names that come out there and try these products that they're that they're promoting. And I think because they're realizing that there is many aspects to our hobby and all of them can be financially profitable as long as they put the right amount of space into it. I think the big part to realize though, is if you think about, I I agree with what you're saying, and I definitely will try and make it more vocal on the fact of like when privateer press used to do lock and load, um, I remember when I went there, I actually ended up winning the last master craftsman award, which they did this tournament and the tournament had a lot of crazy stuff, but one of the big ones was best painted army. Right. And it was like pretty, pretty big in the fact of like that army made it into no quarter and a bunch of different stuff like that. So even though I went into this tournament and I physically lost every single (laughs) round I played, I didn't care. Like I had, I had, I played a bunch of games. I had fun. 
you know, a really good friend of mine, he ended up taking two of the awards and it was fun. And one of the best games we had ever played was playing against him. And I knew that I didn't care whether I won or lost because at the end of the day, I was going for best painting. Yeah. And to have people comment and come over and look at, at the army, that was enough for me. And I think supporting and promoting something like that is going to be the way by creating a, it doesn't have to go into who is the best battle person, you know? Like, I know that's that sounds like a very under undercharacterized label. But what I'm saying is if you separated it like they did, like the person who won Master Craftsman, it didn't matter how they did it the game, how many points they got, victory points. There wasn't a point where I would have to go, well, if I don't kill this caster, I won't win best painting. You know? Right. Yeah, it doesn't matter. That's and so I think that is where people need to realize is that there is a huge difference. We need to basically put a crowbar there and we need to split them up. And basically, if you are playing in a tournament, your painting points should not affect your gameplay. Yeah. You should not see where you fall into the rankings of a of a competitive tactical game based on your creative ability. Because I will tell you right now, I have a really good friend who is super autistic and he doesn't mind me putting that information out there. And I will tell you that any single time I ever talk to him about a game, he knows more about the ins and outs of that game than I could even begin to start to learn. But when it comes to painting, I mean, he is definitely a three color. Boom, boom, boom. Right, you know, putting it out so, there. And that's the thing is, if I go to a tournament and he's teaching me all this information and I play as well as him, but my painting is better, then I shouldn't win. Right. You know what yeah. I'm saying? 100%. Because it, it, it's apples and oranges. I mean, they're in the same hobby, but they are two completely different things. So I think that's the first step is there needs to be a rubric for your gaming, you know, how you're how you're first, second, thirds, where placings are set, victory points, tactics, all that stuff that's, you know, in box one. But then you do your, you know, your whole army, you know, best painted army, you know, or best painted centerpiece. Because what you start doing is then you start motivating people on this level, which is level one, which is the tabletop. And then those people start going, okay, I'm starting to see that I'm winning on a consistent basis, uh, like a best centerpiece or best army on the tabletop. I want to push myself more. And then that is when they start that evolution of to start competing more. So then now you have your competitive side that's being able to go in game, but you also now have this, this search where you can start moving into a new realm. So I think I that's that. the way we, we, we do that. That's a fantastic idea. Actually, and something I've never really considered is that you could actually take literally the golden demon categories apply them to a tournament for awards and you automatically set the, the yes template. and no it takes hours it takes hours upon hours upon hours to judge all those categories and all those things and with when you think of a 300 man tournament think of a 300 man tournament i don't think they get 300 entries but now you first got to get everybody through the first cut and then you have to kind of explain why was it the first cut you know like this one's so close this one is it really better you know Right. And so really you have to have that, you know, you really have to get it down to like, I would only do at the max at the absolute max and even think, and I think that's pushing it three, three categories. Fair, fair. I would honestly do best painted army and then best centerpiece. And a centerpiece can be something like uh, 
you know, if somebody has a Telamon or somebody has a Dorn or somebody has a Morty, uh, Mortaria. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, and then that, you know, because there's going to be a huge difference between gaming pieces and play pieces. I'll be honest, any piece that I'm, that is in my mind display, I, I don't varnish them. I don't do to them. They literally go into a glass case to live their lives in a glass prison forever. You don't varnish them? Nope. Varnishing is a part of your painting? Not when I'm, not if it's going into competitive. Really? Not if I'm going to, and not if it's something for display. So display, do you, because honestly, like, you know, varnish changes kind of the nature of the model in a way. That's it. Yeah. So basically sometimes when I'm, you know, I will, there'll be times that I'll hit colors with like a, a varnish to tone them down. Right. Like I can, like, I'm not saying I never use varnish. Like I probably, there's, there's times on even some of my display models, I will varnish them just to bring the, the tone and the velocity of the color down. Right. But the, the fact is, is that, you know, I'll go back over it, but at the end of it, it is not naturally for me to go, okay, now I need to varnish this or I need to gloss varnish this. It's always matte. I always matte varnish. I matte varnish. That's all I do too. That's, but, that's wild to me that, that that's like, uh, because I always think of it in my head. So that's why people have plinths. Think about it. That's why we have the wood plinths, you know, because I will be honest, the biggest insult you could do to a, to a painter isn't insult their work. Cause honestly, if they're a good artist, they want to hear their feedback. It's actually touch the model with your fingers because that piece of wood or whatever it is attached to that is made to keep your hands off of it because the paint we're putting on there is we put it on there for a specific reason, a specific hue. You know, we, we chose this because of a reason. So it's, we don't want to change it or mute that, you know? So that's, uh, once you move from the tabletop to the, you know, the more display competition stuff like that's, you'll, that's the all the top painters or that's like their go-to. My mind's blown right now. I literally designed my colors to be varnished. And I'm like, okay, this is gonna what it's gonna look like after I hit it with a mat or like yeah. that's and so that's and that's and that's awesome oh. for the tabletop. And that makes yeah. complete sense on the tabletop. But when it comes to our side, it's like because you have to think about this as like as soon as I take a varnish, let's say I'm shooting it through an airbrush, right? As soon as I take that varnish and I push it through that airbrush, I lose all control. So if I have a bad batch of varnish and I get spotting, I just, I just peppered an entire, you know, maybe 40, 50 hours worth of work. If you're, if, if, if this is a big one, you know, you know, and that's where, you know, you can just kind of think about stuff like that. But I, as I said, back to GW, I think GW is the GW of today is amazing in the fact that any complaints I hear people say, I just wish I could shoot them back in a time machine to 2009, 2010. And say, or even, you know, 2008 and say, okay, I would like you to live here for six months and then come back and tell me about how crappy GW is, you know, like done a lot in the last, the community presence they have, what they have done to push, like what they have done to push like content creators and to put the game out there. Like it, you know, do they have some crappy stuff? Sure. You know, but at the end of the day, I, I honestly think that they do care about their their products and that the gamers are not just a uh, dollar sign to them. I'm a, I'm a fan, man. I, I can honestly say that. And for people who hate me for it, whatever, but I'm a, I'm a GW fan, man. I think they've done a great job and I like all the stuff they put out, you know, there's bad, there's good, but overall I say I'm still here, you know, that's <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's the thing is we gotta, you know, and that's the thing is I think what's happening more is like, um, I know for myself and another uh, content creator, we've been, 
hard at work on actually creating, we're actually putting together our own podcast just about positive miniature painting. And yep, so it's just all about like positivity and motivation to basically paint and stuff. So uh, we're we're trying to finish that. But that's, I I definitely think like more people need to focus on that because once we start showing that there's more like of a correlation between paint and the gaming, and then you can start finding more time to combine the two. Like, I think people are going to really start to enjoy the hobby more because I'm yeah. telling you right now, we are on the, we're on the very cusp because, you know, we watched D and D, you know, hit the very tip, tippy top, you know, it was magic right. first and magic hit, you know, and put us on the map. And then you got Pokemon kind of straggled in there and pulled a little younger generations, but now D and D has finally crested. And now that it's at its peak, we're now watching, yes. we're now watching miniature, miniature games and board games and stuff are starting to hit it because of people like Henry Cavill and, and stuff yeah. like that, who are, who are really, you know, spokesperson, you know, for this or the, you know, that we're seeing so, so much publicity on, you know, positivity of this. So it's like, as I said, combining the, you know, the hobby side, we're going to see a lot more. I definitely think, uh, people who are competing in tournaments for the painted side, you know? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And I got to say that uh, now that you've put this out there, I'm going to be the first guest on your show. So that's um, <laughs> that's, that's, that's happening. Um, but let's end the show with a little bit. Give us a couple of just like very rudimentary paint tips. Like what are some things you tell every person that's kind of like, I've been painting. I've, I'm an okay painter. I'm not winning paint awards at the tabletop level but I want to get to where I could go to a 60 man event and win a best painted. Mm, I think the first thing people need to do is uh, take the time to actually learn, ask questions, accept feedback. You know, I think that's a big thing. Uh, You know, as soon as you're starting in this, there's so much coming at us from so many different angles, you know, with painting and books and tables and that, you know, everything's coming in at once. I think if someone really wants to start, you know, getting to that point, they need to start taking the time to take classes, look around, see if there are workshops or someone who's teaching a class. Even if the person's not exceptionally great at painting, most of the time you're going to pick up some information from them, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think another thing that people need to start doing is stop painting out of your pots. Uh, you know, start using a wet palette. People need to learn and understand, like, it's not a requirement. Not everybody has to have a wet palette, but I'm, you know... Because I've got plenty of friends who don't paint with a wet palette, but I would definitely say that the benefits, at least for me, far exceed. Um, and I think I don't know. I think people just need to take more. need to take more time and appreciation. You know, like I think too many times we're rushing and rushing and rushing, and we're 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 taking these models and we're throwing you know twelve dollars worth of wash on it. Yeah. But when you need to understand that that's a seventy dollar model, you just you just soaked into dirt water, you know, like at the end of the day, like, like if you're trying to build this, you know, grim dark future and stuff, like have an idea and and understand that maybe it's not, you know, if your thing is not painting, like if you don't like painting, then here's the thing to do is first thing, find one of your friends who's looking for test models to practice on. You find that person who's trying, you know, maybe that person doesn't have a ton of money, but maybe they just like painting. And honestly, if you build them and you give it to them to paint, you know, then it's they get the time to paint and, you know, they get you get models painted, you know, maybe you throw them one here and there, you know, like what I'm saying is sometimes new paint, you know, especially if someone's 
trying to learn, you know, go out to the people who don't have them, you know, and offer, hey, listen, I'd like to practice more. Do you mind if I use these? You know, yeah. and, and a lot of times the person who's got an entire army of great plastic, they're going to probably be like, sure, you know, why not? Because at the end oh, of the sure. day, worst case the scenario, they get a bunch of painted models that are painted and then at least they can blame it on someone else. But right. at the end and, of the day, and that person them. is getting time and effort and models that they don't have to buy. Sometimes the resources are the most expensive part about this hobby, you know, yeah. and it could be something if you're a new painter and you're trying to get resources and tools. Go up to somebody and say, hey, man, I will literally paint that army for you if you just buy me the supplies to paint it. Yeah. And then by the time now you've got the colors, you've got brushes and it'll be cheaper for them. And you just got a whole start into something and you have practice material like, you know, there's ways to do this. And a lot of people who want different ways, you know, different things. Going back to one of your original points, um, I've been trying to play Eldar for like four months and I'm just so slow with the models. And I said, you know what? I don't even care. I'm just going to paint them. And uh, when it's finished, it's finished. And that may not be finished till LVO. I don't even care at this point. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're going to be like legit about, you know, painting and painting well on the tabletop, I think you just have to accept the fact that you may not play the army when you want to. And you have to play your other armies. Because if you want to put something out there that's good, then. And I think that's the thing is, I think you should have your play army. And then you have your dream army. Yeah. You you basically you can rush or quick or buy like I'll tell this you can go out there and basically buy a painted army of whatever you basically want for pretty cheap okay it may not be what you exactly wanted but what you do is I know you hate doing this go out buy the set of models you know and then use that uh, sorry buy the models and then you turn around and you you can then use those models as you're going. And as you're using the models and going, you can either A, paint the models again for yourself, or B, be painting the, the army that you really want, you know, for, yeah. and as I said, you know, for my, mentioned my friend Quise again, he, you know, he really loved his Death Guard, and that was his test army, working, working, working. But then he's been working on other stuff like Black Guard and, the, you know, I mean, uh, uh, Black Templar on the side, and then he's been working on his Chaos Knights, you know, and for him... He can get through, he can speed paint really quick, but taking his time on certain pieces for another thing, at some point, he's going to have something, even if it's only a 1500 point or a thousand point game, you know, like being able to do something with something that pretty, you just keep building onto it. Maybe it does take you a year. Yeah. I, I think that's the right way to, that's the right way to approach it. If Hunter, Hunter Nichols was on this episode with us and I deleted him off of it because his mic sucked. But um, if he was on here, I'm going to speak for him. He told me before we started this, he has a Imperial Guard army that he literally just is doing for his hobby army. He's been working on it for like two years. And you and everyone knows he's never once put that on the table. So, And as I said, I've told people, like, it's it's a funny joke on my stream all the time is when I'll t- people will talk about their pile of shame. And then I will tell people that I literally own Force Org of everything for custodies. <laughs> For both Games Workshop and Forge World. Every. There's nothing for custodies I don't own. And I have only painted three models. Neither three of them are cohesive, and neither three of them are going to represent what I'm going to do for my force You're now. Out there. Right. Because uh, I kept trying something and then I didn't like it. And I went, all right, I'll come back to it. That's one day going to be my dream army. And I know it can be a, an attainable dream army. Because I only need like 19 models. 
So yeah. even if I take my usual painting schedule, I could probably do 19 models in five years. <laughs> For sure. For sure. Five years. That's, a, that's know, an attainable like I'm telling goal. You right now, 20, attainable goals. 2027 is going to be my year. You're going to see my custodians everywhere. 2027, 19 models. <laughs> well, Devin, thanks for joining us, man. I'm going to check out uh, your podcast when it comes out. I'm sure everyone will be real excited to get another paint podcast out. There's not many of them out there. Yeah, and- no, there's some good ones. There's uh, Watching Paint Dry. That's it. That's a really good one. I have some good friends who do that one. Um, and uh, as I said, I've been on a few a few little 40K uh, paint, you know, five-minute tips and stuff yeah. like that. So anytime I can support the, the painting side of the community, I'm always down. I'm going to link some of those in the comments below, too. So we'll get all that out there for everyone listening. Uh, Devin, he is with The Cutthroat Cure. You can find him on Twitch. You can find him on Instagram. <laughs> And, and Facebook. And Facebook. You can find him any place. He'll be at Nova. Come up and talk to him. He, he's a very friendly guy. Come talk to him. Maybe you'll learn something. Take his classes. They're probably sold out. But a good bit of them are, but I do. <laughs> as I said, I'm doing both classes for Warfare Weekend and uh, November, as well as the Nova Open. And then I'm actually trying to plan a weekend workshop in I uh not uh not uh Michigan. I'm doing it in Michigan, I think okay. it is. So. We've been talking to them. So I've got a lot of really interesting things I'm hoping to do. But yeah, guys, uh, definitely I've been going to be trying to be streaming a lot more with uh, my son starting kindergarten, as I said. And uh, yeah, just trying to get some paint on spray. That's always the goal. Thanks for joining us, man. Make sure to check out all our other content at theartofwar40k.com. We have the Art of War Vanilla with Nick Nadavati and Paul Murphy. We have the World Championship very, very, very Australian Art of War Down Under with the late and great Adam Camilleri. We, of course, are the Art of War Pistachio, the flavor you didn't know you loved till you tried us. Thanks for listening. Join us for our regular program next week. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War and the Art of War Down Under podcast on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com. 